Good morning, everyone. And we welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We're so glad you could join us. I can't imagine anything I'd rather be doing than to be with you all here this morning. And we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we thank you all for joining us. And we'll begin today with our morning prayer. Okay. I have excerpts from page 164 and 220 of Divinity Course and General Collectania. Love. Love alone will found, upbuild, and establish forever both the Christian scientist and our cause. The principle of our demonstration as Christian scientists is unity and our demonstrations depend on united minds and their at-one-ment with the one mind. Be wholly absorbed in the work of gaining daily more understanding of God than personal ambition, envy, desire to be in this or that place cannot use you. Personal ambition has no place in a Christian's thought or life. He is wholly occupied in the loving, humble purpose to do good, to be good, and to prove that good is all that can govern thought, action, condition, or being. Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful, thank you. Okay, the watching point. Watching point number 15. Watch lest the appreciation of those whom you benefit and heal through Christian science tend to put you on a pedestal in your own estimation instead of to cause you to feel more humble. Even our beloved leader spoke of her, quote, present feeble sense of Christian science, end quote. And that's from Science and Health, page 577. And I have that here if you want me to. Okay. So the quote that he's referring on page 577 of Science and Health by Mary Baker Eddy says, quote, The writer's present feeble sense of Christian science closes with St. John's revelation as recorded by the great apostle. For his vision is the acme of this science as the Bible reveals it. End quote. Thank you. Okay, comments on that? Well, first of all, Mrs. Eddie's saying her feeble sense of Christian science. <laughs> wow, well, what does that make? <laughs> um, very, uh, now that's an incredible statement that she admitted that there's so much yet to know. Um, even for her, and that the more the more humble we become, the more at one we are with God, because we realize our need for Him more and more as the more humble we become. That is beautiful and so true. Thank you. Our depend our dependency doesn't diminish; it grows. And feeble it means weak, doesn't it? Yeah. She was referring to human weakness versus divine strength. 
humanly, we have no strength. Mm-hmm. And we better remember that. <laughs> Our strength is in God. Yeah, otherwise it's human will. So it's a very important point. Go ahead, Florence. No, it's like hymn 195. Um, when I'm weak, you are strong or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, person out of the way. And I think what he, he's saying in those pages, too, uh, you know, correspond with this. Like, take that person out of the way. Don't think you're doing anything yourself. I want to be recognized as a healer or I want to be the one. The credit goes, it's God. Everything, like, again, Gary was saying, we are dependent on him. Without him, nothing. So all good goes to him. All the good, the glory goes to God. That's it. Thank you. And that is our unity, isn't it? Yes. Because then you're united with the one mind, right? Exactly. And that is the only way a church can operate. If a church allows the human mind to come in and become ambitious, then it has lost it. So true. Thank you. One one thing it makes me think of is, you know, Mrs. Eddie is one of the perfect models that we hold in thought, I guess, you know, is what to go towards, but she still saw more room for growth and more room to go in Christian science. So that kind of puts it in perspective. For yeah, <laughs> really. Where we have to go. And then well, one of the last. Oh, yeah, go ahead. One of the last lessons that Jesus taught his disciples just before he left us, left them was to wash their feet. And, I mean, even Peter (laughs) struggled with that one because he didn't see how he could possibly let Jesus wipe his feet. Um, But the the lesson there, obviously, is that that the, the humility, they must be humble, they must be there to serve only and not have any, because they were going to be left now to give to be um, healers and teachers for others and they must never forget that they are servants and and never take any any of the uh, adulations or so that they were probably going to be getting because of their work that they were going to be doing but to remember to be humble thank you very much I was going to use this as a transition to that story, and you did, so thank you. And, and our subject is Doctrine of Atonement, and this is these are all various ways we can demonstrate our oneness with the Father, and, and humility and servitude are high on that list, top on that list, certainly humility. Um, as we talked about at the, at the um, Bible studies, too, on unity recently. So, Gary will read what Louise wrote from Missouri about the washing of the feet on our forum. It was beautiful. Yeah. um, She quotes from uh, 
Baptism and Communion by Ida Mitchell Roth, quote, John the Baptist indicates that this was looked upon at that time as the lowliest of services, for he uses it to illustrate how far above him is he that should come. When he says that he is not worthy to stoop down and unloose the latchet of his shoes as preparatory to washing his feet. The discovery that their Lord and Master could stoop and perform this himself for his disciples brought them an object lesson in humility and brotherly love. There is no service that does not become honorable when performed by love. And the expression to wash one another's feet may signify not only the clarifying of the understanding for each other, but the rendering of any helpful and compassionate service which the occasion demands. End quote. As I read this description, it, it occurred to me that with every single testimony and every single sharing at each Bible study and roundtable, and every article written, etc., we are, in essence, partaking in the washing of one another's feet, as each statement or experience of truth shared is helping each one of us in clarifying our understanding of God as our ever-present father-mother love. I am touched by this beautiful thought. That is so beautiful. You know, and Louise was one at first who was writing very intellectual long things. And, and now she's getting beautifully to the heart of things and what heals. And it, it's beautiful thought. And that quote, too, I love that. There is no service that does not become honorable when performed by love. So people who think they have some, you know, lowly task, no, there's no such thing. When you perform it with love, it elevates it because you're being an expression of God. There was a beautiful, somebody sent me this, maybe it's on um, Noteworthy News, but I believe it was about a, a janitor who was retiring in a, in, a, in a school. And all the children just loved him because of his kindness. And, you know, they were so sorry to see him go. And um, he just had loved the children as he went around, you know, emptying waste paper baskets and whatever else he did. It was quite beautiful, quite a statement. So whatever job you have, you just love it, love doing it and do it with love. I mean, for a long time I did. I cleaned the bathrooms of the church and other things like that, and I love to do it. I used to bring um, notebooks with things that I could read and study while I, in between I was <laughs> what I was doing. Anyway, it was a time of great growth and great joy. Very happy doing it. Doesn't matter what you're doing. If God is with you, what does it matter? So I thought that was beautiful. And the way that then she, she tied it into what we're doing here now. And when you do, give a testimony with love. Every time you share the Bible study or roundtable, every article written, she says we're, we're washing the feet of the disciples. It's humility, humility, and sharing. Now that is one of the most lowly jobs to wash feet and and you know of course in those days they walked 
in sandals, dusty roads. The feet would get quite dirty. In the um, that series, The Chosen, about Christ Jesus, you, there are examples of him washing his feet, right? You see that, washing his feet. Yes. was had to be done. Yeah, so, Peter coming into his house and washing his feet right away. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, there are some other things about the washing of feet that I hadn't thought too much about, but are very, very true. Um, Carrie sent me something from, she said, I wanted to share something written as a commentary in my new old book, Self-Interpreting Bible, Volume 4, the New Testament. This book was found along with its volumes on other books of the Bible in Mrs. Eddy's library at Chestnut Hill. It was copyrighted in 1905. So it says here, John 13, 1, quote, You know not the reasons for what I am doing, and little think what is my meaning in it. But I will in a little time somewhat explain my design, and when the Holy Ghost shall be poured out from on high, he will further acquaint you with it, and make you to experience the benefit of it. You may think your refusal is a humble aversion to my disparaging myself, but you cannot be my disciple if you set yourself against my authority, wisdom, and love. And you can have no fellowship with me or interest in my saving blessings unless you be spiritually washed in my blood and by my word and spirit, from the guilt and filth of your sins. <clears throat> so not only was he teaching humility, he was also teaching what other two things? There are probably many more than two. Following him, his obedience. Obedience. And well, it said love and authority and uh, wisdom, following his wisdom, but it made me think of when, when Mrs. Eddy, not following her authority and wisdom. Yes, and that, that's a big one. I mean, Peter thought he was being doing the right thing, but he, he way went way out, didn't he, thinking he could object to something that the Christ was asking him to do. He was also purging them of the yes. sin Thank you. of believing that they were material rather than spiritual. I loved what it said, the guilt and filth of sin. Thank you. That's a good one. Thank you. This part of it is huge because I never saw this before, and it's huge. It's admitting you've got a problem, being, the, again, the humility, and you need to be washed clean. It's that humility. This was one of my biggest struggles when I first got here. Um, you know, I didn't want to admit I had any problems. And I, so if you don't want to admit you have any problems, then you're, you know, you're perfect. So you don't need this cleansing. Well, we all need the cleansing. And when you are able to admit it and have yourself washed clean, that is a huge step forward. This is getting rid of that awful human pride that would keep you from demonstrating your oneness with God. 
Now, to me, this is perhaps the most important lesson of this that I had never seen before. I forget, it was some commentary, which I couldn't find, of course, <laughs> I found years ago, probably. But it, it went into that, and I said, wow, that is so true. Now, you see, and, and he mentions in this quote of John, he, he, he refers to Judas, right? Judas didn't want to be washed clean. Judas was hiding his sins. So he thought. Yeah, (laughs) so he thought, and they came out full bloom. So let's never be guilty of thinking we're so high and mighty, so prideful. Oh, no, no, I don't don't need my feet washed. I'm, uh, no, 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 no. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. And and this is part because after I after I did this admitted well <laughs> maybe I wasn't so perfect it's very hard for me to admit that <laughs> uh, anyway it was such a relief and it was like well welcome to the human race yes the human race there ain't one perfect one amongst us <laughs> and isn't that kind of help refreshing in a way I mean you know so this is a part of this lesson. Go ahead. Who's trying to speak? Uh, Hello, this is Ingrid. Uh, First of all, thank you so much. The world can never be grateful enough for all this time that you share with us. Thank you. Uh, There is um, writing that is actually, I think, anonymous uh, about this humility in prayer. Uh, If we have a minute, I can read it. If it's okay? Sure. Okay. Um, this is, there was a meeting of the ministers, you know, the high priests and the high ministers. And one of these priests got earlier to the place and the, the cleaning uh, maid was doing the cleaning. And he said, well, I'm going to see what this girl, maybe he has something to share with us, but it was in a very prideful way that he thought it. And there was a big lesson because uh, he asked her, so how do you pray? Do you have any, any way that you pray? And this is what she responded. Well, said the woman, when I open my eyes in the morning, I pray to know the divine mind opens the eyes of my understanding. While I am dressing, I pray that I know I am clothed by divine love with righteousness. When I wash, I ask for the washing of regeneration. When I begin to work, I pray for the strength equal to my day. When when, When I begin to sweep out the house, I pray that divine love will cleanse me of all the impurities. When I am preparing and partaking of breakfast, I decided to be fed with the manna and the sincere milk of God, of the truth of God. As I am busy with the children, I look to God as my father and pray for the spirit of adoption to know that I am the reflection of divine love. And so on, all day, everything I do furnishes me with a thought of prayer. And, you know, later on it says how the minister was so humble, they were coming up with all these quotes and all these big things, and yet she has this answer. And um, I just thought it had a lot to do because we mentioned humility. 
And that's why. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. This is the prayer without ceasing. And, and it's just beautiful to think of it. That's what our lives should be. And the humility, yes, and how much more powerful is that humility than all this pontificating. You know, this was one thing with Mrs. Evans, too. She was a wonderful healer, but she was never too proud. If, if she had a problem or anything, you know, she had a problem. She didn't, she didn't try to hide it or, or pretend like she didn't. I was thinking about it today because um, she used to say sometimes when she would be giving a, a sermon and she would have to cough or something because <clears throat> anyway, I seem to have had a tickle in my throat recently. Anyway, so she would say, well, the frog says, no, the man says he has a frog in his voice, in his throat, but the frog says he is a man in his throat <laughs> and everyone would laugh and she would cough and then she would go <laughs> she would go on so um yes and all, all of that is humility i mean we we all are we all have problems we all have things we're working out uh everyone and we just have this marvelous way to work it out and thank god we do Thank God we have this science. So thank you, Ingrid. That was just beautiful. I appreciate that. Lovely contribution. So, so um, I think it was, well, it, it kind of, this story of the washing the, of the feet goes into the story of the blind man. Um, is Ron here? Yes. Okay, well, Ron, did you want to, Comment on what you wrote on the forum. Um, we can't hear you. Maybe you're on mute, or maybe you went out to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you're just too shy. <laughs> okay, well, Ron, he, he spoke about... Um, well, I'll let Gary look, take a look. Thank you. So Ron writes, in this week's lesson, we read John 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That's end quote. Reading this passage, the words blind from his birth stood out to me as never before. By my unquestioning acceptance of a physical birth beginning in this mortal world, I am blinded to the spiritual reality that my identity is not separate and cannot be separated from the allness that is God, good. I am grateful that my eyes, spiritual discernment, have been touched by divine science, opening a pathway to gain an understanding of this eternal truth. Mrs. Eddy writes, Science and Health, page 305, in the illusion of life that is here today and gone tomorrow, man would be wholly mortal were it not that love, the divine principle that obtains in divine science, destroys all error and brings immortality to light. Because man is the reflection of his maker, 
He is not subject to birth, growth, maturity, decay. These mortal dreams are of human origin, not divine. End quote. Thank you. You know, this idea, original sin, and yes, you're born into matter, you're going to die out of it. Well, it would prevent you from demonstrating your oneness with God, right? So, well, we're born into matter, we don't die out of it. And Jesus refused to give this condition a cause. Thank you. Right? You refuse to acknowledge it as a legitimate condition. Nor did he blame anybody. There was no blame um, to it. So, and the cause sort of leads us into what Parthens wrote on the forum today. Yeah, Parthens writes, the at-one-ment mindset understands existence as spherical, <laughs> having neither beginning nor end. At-one-ment is a state. Thought proceeding from the at-one-ment state is causal. It is thinking from cause, not merely of or about cause. Man has not a separate mind from deity, for this would make other intelligences, and there would be more than one God. This is a quote from the first edition of Science and Health. It is from cause that Jesus wrought his many wonderful works. At one moment, consciousness is, I and the Father are one, consciousness. And for this, Jesus was crucified by those who said, Away with him, for he maketh himself as God. End quote. Nevertheless, understanding is knowing, not believing. That I and the Father are one. The Father is greater than I. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. End quote. And it is only this one with, one with cause, consciousness, that can heal the sick, raise the dead, move mountains, and assault the gates of hell. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Assault the gates of hell. Yes, our oneness. And one simple thing we were taught here to say to ourselves often, I and my father are one. This is our humility and our oneness. Yes, we are one with the Father. Always remember the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. And he hath not left me alone. You are never alone. As the Father is always there with you and with your children and with your parents and with your neighbors and with everyone in the world. <laughs> this is the truth. But in, and these are all quotes of Christ Jesus from the book of John in the Bible and helps us remember this oneness with the Father. So, and Thank then, you for, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I, thank you for including, uh, you know, like everyone in that love and in that care. And I, <laughs> being blessed with this inspiration, I always say human 
animal, non-human beings, but to include just basically everything in creation, in that amazing creation of God, even things that we may not know that exist, you know, since we don't know everything. It's a vast universe. That's a beautiful. And, and God's love is all-inclusive. And I thought you would be so happy. Linda, what did you find in the Kimball book? Oh, that was Chardell. That oh, sure. <laughs> okay, well, who wants to tell me? Well, you tell it. You have it. Do you? Have, well, he said that uh, somebody asked him about eating meat. He said he, he needs less and less of it, that it's not necessary. You know, yeah, he said how, how 80% do, water. Yeah, yeah, he said, you're how, 85% or water. <laughs> how do you justify eating meat? And he said, I don't. <laughs> so, and, he, and he says something else, too, about, you know, too, too much killing going on. So, in belief, <laughs> in belief. So, yes, we wrap all, every part of God's creation in his love. And the lion lays down with the lamb. Okay, now Izzy also wrote on the forum about the blind man. Yeah, Izzy says, thank you for the wonderful testimony given in this Sunday's roundtable, which is October 10, about how prayers for the eyes of family members to open resulted in the mother of the family asking for a copy of Science and Health. What a joy to then read in this week's lesson the story of Jesus and the blind man, whose sight he restored after anointing his eyes with clay and telling him to go and wash in the pool and literally open his eyes to sight. Recent worldly events are causing so many people to question and reconsider their lives and lifestyles. I can't help wondering if all this seeming chaos is actually the clay anointing eyes so that they will be open to the truth, rolling away the stones of matter, mortal mind, and the lies of error. That is very beautiful. And and Florence, did you want to comment on it? You commented on the forum briefly, but I, I just love the you know her discernment of it that the the so much chaos, which it, it seems that way, is actually the clear anointing eyes, so that they may be open to the truth. I just thought that was a very beautiful discernment. Really. Yes, it, it it is. You mm-hmm. see, it's through science or suffering. Um, we come to this, and it, we see people suffering, so they'll get to the science. But we can unsee it, too. Um, there's a beautiful article we put on the carousel that, that Nancy Bouchon wrote about saving the world. And she, she made some interesting observations, and she quotes, and I think we have had this in the watch message, but... Um, Mary Baker Eddy made a rather bold statement to Martha Boke, one of her early workers. She stated the truth that all is, God is all in all, and there is no evil held faithfully by Christian scientists will save the world, and it is all that will save it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's let's do that. She said, <laughs> let's, let's do that. <laughs> And then she notices that the quote on Galatians about the works of the flesh are manifest in all those lists. But the one that's in italics is witchcraft. And so she says, why, 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 why is that? And she said, we as Christian scientists are to handle the belief of witchcraft, uh, 
of a belief in a power apart from God where evil is worshipped. Is that not true? Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yes. So all of this seeming chaos should be anointing our eyes. I love That's right. it. Yeah. Because ultimately, what is it? It's the error destroying itself. Yes. And if it opens our eyes to the truth, it should open our eyes to the fact that God is all there is. And in doing this work, we can shorten the days, right? The days don't have to be so long of the suffering and the um, and also protect the innocent. I mean, sometimes people will say, oh, this terrible person. Well, if it really is a terrible person, if it's really malicious with a f- believing to have a face on it, I say they're on the way to a lake of fire and a night without a star, so don't worry about it. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. If it's malicious, if it's ignorant... Their eyes will be open. Their eyes will be open, and they will be protected. And many, many, it is ignorance. But according to Mrs. Eddy and the Bible, there are the malicious ones, and they will suffer. Stop. Who? What? And there's a great quote: "Error appears, but to disappear." It is so, um, it brings so much confidence to know that if we be aware of any error, it, is only, it only appears but to disappear. It's, it's wonderful. wonderful. Right. It's wonderful to know that. It right. only appears to disappear right. into its native nothingness. Right. And that is a statement of scientific fact. It has no choice but to disappear. But the disappearance comes as a result of what? Consecrated prayer? Uh, Of our vision being clear. (laughs) Because it disappears. Because it doesn't exist in divine mind. It doesn't exist in God. So it has to disappear from our consciousness. And along with that, this was something that uh, Carrie sent Martha Wilcox, also on the blind man born blind, quote from Martha Wilcox, during the time that I was under Mrs. Eddy's personal instruction and a mental worker, she gave us two lessons from the scriptures that impressed me very, very much. One was animal magnetism based on the man who was born blind. She showed us very clearly that neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, for they were both the divine man. For a long time I clearly saw that there was no such thing as a sinning mortal man, but only the perfect man, needing no healing. I saw that my so-called matter man was the divine in reversion, or seen through a glass darkly, as St. Paul says. So that goes along with the article about how to save the world. So God is all in all. Therefore, there is no evil. And when we get too worked up about it and think that there is an evil, 
then suddenly we're on the wrong side and our prayers become ineffective. Mm. So don't get all wound up about it. That doesn't mean to ignore it, however. No. One of our calendar statements was really good about that this week, too. I should have brought it, but anyway, it's not ignoring it. We're saying it just doesn't exist in a flippant way. It's getting into really your understanding so you get this sense of peace and you know it to be true. You rise above it, you put your heel on its neck, and you stomp on it. And you keep stomping <laughs> until you get the peace and that comes from the dominion that God gives that God gives you. And not until then. <laughs> and Linda, you wrote later about there is no power apart from God. Omnipotence has all power, and to acknowledge any other power is to dishonor God. <laughs> Quote from Mary Baker Eddy. That always slaps me around, man. <laughs> it slaps me around. <laughs> what did you write? Well, I took the definition of power and the definition of dishonor. First, power was force, strength, energy, influence, command, government, dominion, ruler, sway, authority, right, domin uh, operation, and ability. And then I would put it in with the power. So there was no ability apart from God, no force apart from God. And then I took the word dishonor, which means to refuse or reproach, lessen the reputation or lack reverence or res respect. So um, is to uh, dishonor, is was to disrespect God, to be irreverent toward God, and to refuse God. So that made me think more about it. And I really loved, I really enjoyed doing it all week with the no power apart from God and just putting anything in there. I thought, I love that no energy apart from God. It just really was. Thank you. So, Thank you. That's so wonderful. Bring it back to God. And that also connects with the story in the, in the lesson this week about Pilate. Right. Telling the Christ Jesus, don't you know I have power to kill you? Mm -hmm. His answer, you have no power unless it's given to you by God. You remember that one, everybody. What is it trying to intimidate you with or bully you with? It can't. It has no power unless it comes from God. That goes back to the cause and the source. And all of this is demonstrating our oneness with the Father. And we know, I mean, it seemed that Jesus was killed, but he wasn't, was he? <laughs> he proved it, an everlasting victory. And so some of you did say that this is a, you know, the doctrine of atonement is a hard one. Um, Candy gave this, she found this beautiful definition from the Blue Book. What is the atonement? It is self-sacrifice that finds the way for others through experience that meets and overcomes error. And this shows this way to others who have slept to save them from a similar experience. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful. And that ties with the washing of the feet, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like that. It also reminded me of the testimony meetings. Yes. Yeah. Also what um, Louise wrote 
And then um, Jasmine in Australia, she wrote something Gary will read that was also beautiful. Yeah, Jasmine writes, I discover the word atonement in Hebrew, cum Latin, is expiato, meaning to make amends, to purge, to sacrifice. And that's in Leviticus 16. As well, I discover in 16th century Britain, a new word emerges named atonement, which means, which implies at one in harmony, in accord, to agree. Today, atonement interprets as reconciliation, not appeasement. Jesus of Galilee, in his astonishing and seemingly radical demonstrations, exemplifies at one For three years, Jesus demonstrated his oneness with God. I and my Father are one is Jesus' outstanding message of at-one-ment, John 10. The new covenant given to the world by Jesus is the Christ as the Christ man is all about love, compassion, humility, meekness, not weakness, and forgiveness. Jesus never merely reacts, but supremely and freely acts out of divine love, a love incomprehensible to human sense. That said, the doctrine of at-one-ment interprets as the Sermon on the Mount to me. The sermon speaks of the way to resist not both evil and sin through understanding there is an infinite reality within And besides this infinite reality, there is only a dream of an existence, a dream of an existence masquerading as sin, sickness, and death. From this dream, we can all awaken via the precepts of atonement set out by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It goes on, but that was just beautiful. And and a a calendar submission, I I, I don't know if it was this year or last year. Anyway, it's a quote by Reverend Robert Hopkins. The Sermon on the Mount is the only ethical creed in existence and the only creed upon which Jesus places the seal of approval. Mm-hmm. Now, I love that because all this other talk, well, this, you know, he said this and these, well, I go the ser- Sermon on the Mount, please. If it's, if it's not in there, don't tell me that it's somewhere else. I, I mean, as far as your code to live by. I love it. And so I love what Jasmine wrote and what this man wrote as well. Well, and I think Mrs. Evan, Mrs. Eddie even said once that, wrote once that, you know, you could, you could listen to the Sermon on the Mount every Sunday and that would be a perfectly adequate sermon. <laughs> yes, she did write that every Sunday. So we should spend time reading it and getting into it. And so, Shardy, what did you write about Reconcile? Well, I, I think it came to me, and I was so happy we said the lesson, because I thought, if we want to have this at one minute, then how do we do that? And if we must be reconciled. And it said it in Romans, and also Mrs. Eddy said it in Science and Health about this reconciliation. So I looked it up, and my favorite one is, being called back into union to God, to his friendship. And I've just been reading that recently, that you have a friendship with God. 
So you get yourself called back in and you have to do this work yourself if you want to have the appointment. Yes, if you have been disobedient in any way, you need to make amends. And so you can feel that oneness, that presence of the Lord with you. One of our hymns refers to God, my best, my only friend. One of those definitions is to reconcile men or parties that have been at variance. Yeah. Variance is one of those things in relations as well. Thank you. Yeah. One of those things to avoid. More, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Mrs. Eddie is very encouraging because she says every pang of repentance and suffering, every effort for reform, every good thought and deed will help us to understand Jesus' atonement for sin and aid in his efficacy. So every, every little thing we do, we don't have to feel overwhelmed by the whole thing. And then she says, though, if living in disobedience to him, we ought to feel no security, although God is good. That's a big one. We all want to feel secure for living in disobedience. It doesn't work. No. <laughs> that's never. why. Go ahead, Lawrence. So I was just saying it will. It never will. I mean, that's why you feel uneasy, and it's a good thing. Yeah, you you can feel un the unease in disobedience. Yes. So you do right. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Now this because people can get this confused. Fear and anxiety. I mean, needless fear when you're just afraid of everything because you don't know about God. Well, that can be addressed once you find out about God. But if you are disobeying God and you're feeling fearful and anxious, then you deserve to feel. <laughs> you deserve it. Just mm -hmm. like um, Lawrence said, till you stop doing it. Yeah. Well, and Mrs. Eddy talks about this. She said that, you know, a lot of the scribes and Pharisees, a lot of people felt uncomfortable in Jesus' presence. But they didn't understand why they were uncomfortable. So instead of changing their thinking to be obedient to God, they attacked the messenger. But this is something we need we need to make sure we're clear on because when we are uncomfortable, when we feel anxious, the right way to deal with that is to check our thinking. Is there anything that I am being disobedient about? Ra rather than attacking whoever you're with <laughs> and, and being obnoxious or, you know, <laughs> or hard to live with, go into thought and ask, where am I disobeying God? Many times it's an unforgiving spirit. You know, you just refuse to forgive someone. You hold the grudge. That only hurts you. Sometimes you do it so much, maybe you're not even aware you're doing it. So all of these, I mean, the atonement is sort of repenting for what you've done wrong and reconciling yourself to God. But then the atonement 
is something grand and glorious, and it's knowing your oneness with the Father. Um, and, yeah, it's what Parthens mm-hmm. wrote about, where you can confront the furies of hell when you know that oneness. Because you you also know um, it's utter nothingness, the furies of hell, which it doesn't like. I was telling some people part of this, um, well, the movie The Hobbit, it has a, it's a trilogy, the, the last one, and it has the sort of the angel thought that comes, it's played by Kate Blanchett, she comes when everything, oh my gosh, if you've ever watched any of that, and I'm not necessarily recommending it, but sometimes I like these good and evil battle things. <laughs> so anyway, she she's confronting, oh gosh, it was this huge fiery devil type thing, and he's oh, telling her terrible things. And she lowers her, her head in humility. She lowers her voice. Her eyes get dark, and she comes bats that thing and one thing she does say you are nothing <laughs> and it doesn't like to be called nothing you can just see it kind of break up and disperse so but that is what the oneness with the father gives you so mary yes um you were reminding me with the um the it was t- one time I was teaching a Sunday school class, and the topic was atonement and how it dissects into atonement. And uh, we took the word alone, and if you dissect that, all one. And I remember uh, we were talking about especially uh, about all one with God, because one of the children's grandparents had passed on, who they dearly loved, and the children were discussing well, how could the, the remaining partner not be lonely? And it went from, well, you could get a cat or you could invite friends over. And then the, the smallest child in the class said, I do not understand how anyone could ever feel lonely. And I said to the child, I said, would you like to teach us what you know? And the child said, why, there are all the worms. And, um, and then everyone went on to, why, love is ever present after that. But just a sense of all, no loneliness, all one. Thank you. That's beautiful. And a little child shall lead them. Thank you. Well, we will end now on the, what I love, Big Mel Young's article, Oneness. Um, we'll read some excerpts from the beginning pages. Yeah, this is Big Mel Young, Oneness. As we gain understanding of God... If we are not the same mind, having the same understanding of individual being, our being, God is still a theory. What is the difference between theory and reality? A theory is something believed, but not necessarily used or lived. Reality is being what one understands. It is realistic being. What cannot God do, Mrs. Eddy says in miscellaneous writings? Quote, she continues, for man to know life as it is, namely God, the eternal good, gives him not merely a sense of existence, but an accompanying consciousness of spiritual power, 
that subordinates matter and destroys sin, disease, and death, end quote. And further, quote, this Jesus demonstrated, insomuch that St. Matthew wrote, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This spiritual power, healing sin and sickness, was not confined to the first century. It extends to all time, inhabits eternity, and demonstrates life without beginning or end. End quote. If we know this of ourselves, we know that we are good because God is the only good. We know we are intelligent because God is the only intelligence. We are harmonious because God is the only harmony. We are the very presence of these things. We no longer feel that our demonstration lies in an appeal to a power outside of ourselves to do this or that, but that we are the very presence of these things, even the presence of something that may seem to be lacking. A fog, cannot be, a fog can be dispelled only by the clear shining of the sun. That is, it takes the presence of the sun to do so. No more can we disperse in error but by being the very presence or power called God. We easily accept the fact that an error in mathematics or discord in music can only be dissipated by the presence of the true, or concord. So in Christian science practice, we must see clearly, and more clearly, that we are the presence of God. And in this presence there is no sin, disease, death, or inharmony of any kind. What else could Mrs. Eddy have meant in these words, Quote, felt ye the power of the word, end quote. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.